All right, kicking off a new series of sermons today for the next five weeks leading us up to Easter. This series is for us to understand some of these conversations that we just stick our head in the sand a little bit on as the, the global church. It's also a conversation in a series for our friends who might have some holdups or hookups or some barriers uh, into coming to a church and um, they might have some hurts on some of these issues or, or they see a lot of hypocrisy in some of these issues that we're going to be talking about. And so it's a series for everyone. It's a series that we want you to invite your friends to uh, and it's a series that we want to equip ourselves with and I'm excited about this and I'm excited that Mackenzie's kicking butt with, with the bumper music. That was a fun song. And so what's the app music made me think of Toy Story for some reason. <laughs> all right, so, hey, I want to start with this story. My dad used to tell this story all the time, a story that took place in his childhood. And I think there has never been a more appropriate day to tell this story to you all than today. You see, when my dad was young, long ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, there were these things called traveling circuses. Right? And they would travel from town to town. They would, they would set up tents for a few days. Uh, they would make some moolah. They would make some money. And then they would move on to the next town. They would move on down the road. Well, once when he was young, one such circus came to his hometown of East Lansing, Michigan. And they set up their tent in the parking lot of a local department store called Woolworths. Right? Again, like I said, he's old. Right? <laughs> This was like in the 50s. And the circus happened to have an elephant, and they staked it down right in front of this department store, right in front of Woolworths. The elephant was tied up like most elephants with a small rope around a spike that was driven into the ground. Now, while some kids uh, thought it would be funny to see if they could scare the elephant, and so after some loud noises some kicks, and finally a set of firecrackers and cherry bombs, the elephant had enough and was like, forget this. And it panicked and realized that the little rope tied around its one ankle was doing absolutely nothing to keep it tied down. And so the elephant made a break for it right into the department store, right into Woolworths, where my dad was shopping with his mom. And, and when he told this story, he said that there was some commotion, there was some excitement, and there were people running around and screaming, but he did not know what was happening until someone came over the loudspeaker and said loudly, the elephant is in the sports section, run for the women's section. And like a little good, good little kid, he ran for the women's section and he ducked under a clothes rack until the man came over the intercom and he said, he's headed for the women's section, run to the shoe department, and so on and so forth. Now I'm told eventually they got the elephant out of the store and they, they caught him. I don't know how they actually got him out. I don't know if, if the elephant survived this ordeal or not. But I just love picturing men, women, and children everybody running back and forth in a department store from an elephant. Isn't that funny? I'm sure that there's some TV show in the past or will be some TV sitcom that makes an episode of this at some point. Right? But, but here's why I tell you this story. It's not just to make you laugh. It's because of this. Right? There it is. When there's an elephant in the room, everyone notices. 
Right? When, when there's an elephant in the room, just everybody takes notice of that elephant. There is no denying it. Some people are running for their lives. Some people hide under a clothing rack in, in the women's section. Some people, well, they just ignore it and they keep on going about what they were doing in the first place. So Foundry Church, here's the thing. There are some important questions and, and some important topics and concerns and just ways of thinking, like a worldview that are all around us in this world. There are elephants in the room, so to speak, that keep just popping up in the department stores, in the Woolworths of our lives. And they seem to be slapping us in the face, don't they? Right? Or, or running us over or causing us to run and hide or, or at the very least causing our friends to run and hide and not want to be a part of a Christian community. But, but here's the thing. I, I don't think we can hide from the elephants by going to the religious section of the department store and hiding behind our Bibles. Right? Right? Things like the sanctity of life and science seeming to be at odds with religion and LGBTQ questions and the hurts of the church. Right? These things keep popping up and they're running us over. But they're things that we need to talk about, things we need to face. So let me put it this way. Right? I would think one of the toughest things about parenting is having to have the sex talk with your kids. Right? I mean... I just imagine, right? It's tough to talk about, about it because it's such an intimate issue. And you feel weird naming parts of the physical anatomy that don't typically come up in normal conversation unless you're just in that weird household. Right? It's tough. It's an awkward conversation. It's hard. It's a little weird. But here's the deal. You cannot not have that talk, right? you got to have that talk. And so you swallow hard, you pray for wisdom, and you have an open and honest conversation about it. You face the elephant in the room. You see, what we're going to do here at the Foundry over the next five weeks leading up to Easter is, is just like that. It's just that. We're not having the sex talk, but we are having some awkward conversations. Right, we're going we're gonna to face the elephant in the room because I think the church, the, the global church, has some issues that it tends to ignore. And this series is about identifying some of those church elephants that are making us just kind of run in circles around the Woolworths of our lives. And listen, before you get all hot and bothered, I can't possibly answer every question or confront every issue. And I'm sure I'm, I'm going to step on some toes, toes, that was weird, and say some things that you won't agree with. Just send your emails and I'll file them in the appropriate folder. But we have to do this. Right? There are some five-ton elephants that are around us, and we aren't doing anybody any favors, including ourselves, if we don't talk about it, if we don't wrestle with these topics. These conversations are vital. They may be painful, like being trampled by an elephant, but here at the Foundry, listen, we believe in doing difficult things. It's just at the core of who we are as a church. We believe in putting the hammer to the anvil and stepping up to the table and bringing the tough conversations together as a church community in authenticity and community, all led by the Holy Spirit of God and anchored to the truth of who God is and what his word tells us. Why? Because, listen, we believe that the gospel, the story of Jesus, speaks into literally every subject that you can possibly think of. The gospel speaks into every single thing we could possibly think of. 
right? And we're going to dig deeper onto this uh, this Wednesday with those, those podcasts that we're launching, right? So, so make sure you listen to that, right? How the gospel speaks into every single topic, right? If you are someone who is forging their life on God and, and I cut you, right? I, I cut your arm, you should bleed the gospel, right? It's not just uh, the kitty side of the pool. It's the pool where we do the cannonball, right? That's the gospel. And we don't mean religion, right? When I say the gospel, I don't mean religion. I don't mean a set of rules, right? We mean the gospel, right? The good news of who Jesus is, what he's done for each and every one of us, that Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life that, that no one else has ever been able to do. And then he died on a cross to pay a price that we could not pay. And he was buried in a grave, but he rose again three days later. And now he's at the right hand of God the Father, right? And he's going to return someday. He conquered death so that you and I could be washed clean, white as snow, made whole again, and gain a way home to God the Father so that we can be in the new heaven and the new earth, the gospel. The, the, the gospel is the truth to everything, the foundation of the universe and the hope of the world, the gospel. So it certainly speaks to every elephant in the room that we could possibly think of. And these highly emotional, sometimes painful, and certainly contentious topics and topics that the, are the topics that the gospel needs to speak into the most. Right? Everything in our lives should be filtered through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, through the lens of redemption and restoration, through the lens of hope and forgiveness and reconciliation, through the lens of the greatest commandments. Now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 22, and we're going to look at these great commandments. And I know this isn't the scripture that we're digging into today, but listen, in your Bibles, we need to know where these are. So you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those Bibles with you. They are free for you to have to use to take. Take them, use it in your Bible right now. Turn to Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, and we're going to look at this great commandment together. And if you have your Bible, mark it up. Highlight this sucker. Use the table of contents if you need to. It's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew. And he said to them, Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. So all the law, all the writings of the Old Testament come down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? with all your soul, with your mind. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, just to set the context, to make sure we're all on the same playing field here, in every discussion that we have over the next five weeks, there are two things that we should be looking at. Actually, in every discussion that we have about any topic with unbelievers, there should be two things that we're looking at. How can I best love God in this situation? All right? And how can I best love people? In this situation. 
Right? That, that's how we should enter into these elephant-in-the-room conversations. How can I best love God in this situation? How can I best love people in this situation? No matter what the topic, no matter what the question, no matter what the conversation, we will lead with these two questions in mind. How can I best love God in this situation? How can I best love people in this situation? You see, the church has unfortunately become this place where we are known for more for what we are against than what we're for. And so we have to have these tough conversations. And as we speak the truth, let us lead with love. Right? For God and love for the people that God loves so much. We don't have to love them necessarily. Right? But we got to lead with love. Right? I guess that's wrong. We have to love them. We don't necessarily need to like them. Right? Sometimes Christina tells me that in the morning. Andrew... I love you, but I don't like you. I'm not awake yet, right? right it's the same thing. We gotta love God. We gotta love people, right? Over and over again. Let's ask ourselves: How can I best love God in this situation? How can I best love people in this situation? How can I best love God in this situation? How can I best love people in this situation? In fact, let's just repeat it with me right now, so we're all on the same page. How can I best love God in this situation? How can I best love people in this situation? You dig? You get it? Right? It's that important because this is how God wants us to view and wants us to handle tough topics. If you don't dig, right? If you don't agree, right? You take it up with God of the universe, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. Okay? Right? If we forge our life on God, how can I best love God in this situation? How can I best love people in this situation? It is both and, right? Not one side or the other. So let's peel this onion of the first elephant today with these questions in mind. And the first elephant in the room today is this. How should we view life? How should we view human life? And now some of you, you're looking at me like, oh, Andrew, this is not really a whole elephant about how we should view life. There's no elephant roaming around, right? Life should be lived, Period. Talk over. Sorry, church. We're not getting off that easy. Right? How should we view life is a complex question. Right? With lots of ins and outs and perspectives and nuance. And I mean it. Right? Have you ever really thought where the true meaning of life is found? I mean, maybe you're like me. You, get, you go to Dairy Queen. You get them malted. You sit in your, your car and you, you ponder life's questions. Like, what is the true meaning of life? All right? Bite of ice cream. All right? But seriously, have you ever thought of this, right? Have you really thought about what is the true meaning of life and where can it be found? Have you ever thought, uh, do, do you have to find this meaning? Do you have to go out and search for it? Do you have to be some kind of um, in a special relationship? You got to have a special spouse or have some special parents in order to find this true meaning of life? Uh, do, do your children have to fit some kind of bill? Like, do they have to pass some sniff test in order for your family to understand the true meaning of life? Right? Do you have to live in a special kind of house or in some special area of the world to find the true meaning of life? Or is, is true meaning of life found by having the right kind of job and the right, right mission or responsibilities? Is it possible to live our entire lives and never find the true meaning of life? Right? I mean, because that would be very sad. 
right? To live more than 70 years on this earth and never discover what life is really about, right? Well, what complicates the matter even more is that different people give us different answers to what constitutes the true meaning of life, doesn't it? Right? We could go down to the National Mall and we could ask uh, 10 different people about the true meaning of life and what are we going to get? You're going to get 10 different answers, Right? All right, so who has the right answer? Some believe life has no meaning. Right? For example, Mark Twain, shortly, right before his death, he wrote this. A myriad of men are born. They labor, they sweat, they struggle. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them. Infirmities follow. Those uh, they love are taken from them. And the joy of life is turned to aching grief. It, the release, comes at last. The only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where there were no consequence. A world which will lament them for a day and forget them Ever. <laughs> Yikes. Right, that's bleak. Right? And, but maybe he didn't have the right view of human life. Right? W.H. Alden, an English poet, once said, We are all here on earth to help others. What on earth the others are here for, I don't know. <laughs> all right? Different, different meanings of life, different ways that we can find life, right? The famous theologian Taylor Swift, she once said, life isn't how you survive the storm, it's about how you dance in the rain, right? So, so as you can see, everyone has their theories on life, don't they? Right, but if we are looking at life through the lens of the gospel, like we said, through the lens of how can I best love God in this conversation, in this life, in this thought, in this, this thing I'm wrestling with? How can I best love people right, with this? Well, we wouldn't look anywhere other than his word by the power of his Holy Spirit that does that work within us. Because listen, on the very first page of my journal in my backpack right there, it's been there for years, I have a quote that simply says this. A self-defined person is defined by an idiot. <laughs> All right? Let's not be idiots, all right? Let, let's forge our life on God. Let him define what we're thinking, right? What we are, right? what we believe, right? Let's forge our life on God. Let's start where every good lesson starts at the beginning. So turn with me to, in the beginning of your Bible now to Genesis. So we were in Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. Now we're going to be in the Old Testament, and the Bible's broken up into two Testaments, the Old Testament, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, is where we are going to be right here for a minute. All right, use the table of contents if you have to, but it's right there, probably like the first or second page of your Bible. And again, take those Bibles with you if you want one or you know someone who wants one. They're for you to have and to use. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, uh, the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Right, so from the very, very beginning of time, 
God knew what the value and the purpose and the plan for human life should be. And it's this right here. The purpose of human life is to what? Reflect the image of God. That's the purpose of human life. To reflect our creator to reflect the image of God. From the start of everything, God, God's plan was not to make a place for us to build a, a comfy house with a comfy couch in front of a comfy TV, watching comfy shows that make us feel good about ourselves. That's not the case. From the beginning of all ordered time and all ordered space and earth, our life was created to reflect God's image. Right, Louis Giglio, in his book, I Am Not, But I Know I Am, uh, explained it this way. And he has, we have copies of that book out there if you want to grab one. He said this, it's there, everywhere, mysteriously woven into our DNA, the image stamp of the creator, allowing us to share a unique intimacy with the almighty and reflect his glory. Right, Human life is to reflect the glory of God. And the amazing thing about that is that we all reflect God in a unique and profound way. Right, each of us has been created specifically, uniquely, importantly for a purpose, for his purpose. Look at what it says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read this one. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. You had a purpose. You had a plan, right? Right, God. God has known us from the very moment of conception. But even more than that, look at, at that first word of that verse, right? Before. Before. Right? God didn't just know you from the moment that you were created. He knew you before you were even a thought to your parents. Before your parents were a thought to their parents, they knew you. God had you in mind to be a unique, Foundry Church, you, to be a unique and powerful reflection of his image. Each and every one of you. Right? Each and every one of you are a unique and powerful, untapped powerful TNT dynamite reflection of his image. The God that we forge our life on. <laughs> Let me give you an example of this in scripture. In Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 41. Go ahead and turn there. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. Back in the New Testament. I'm having you earn your keep today. All right. Luke chapter 1, verse 41 All right, I, and I, I love this story because this is the first fist bump in recorded history. All right. She simply says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me give a little context. So Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist who's the cousin of Jesus, right? He was carrying, she was carrying little baby John in her womb. And John hadn't done any baptizing yet. He hadn't done any prophesying yet. Uh, nothing. He, he was in the womb just working on growing. That was his job. And then Elizabeth just walks up to her cousin Mary, who's carrying Jesus in her womb, the literal light of the world, the Messiah, the hope for all mankind as a baby, in a womb, and as their bellies pass each other, right, baby John leaps in the womb. And like I said, I, I like to think that it was John trying to give Jesus the first fist bump. 
See, I think if, if we're going to point to a verse about God being active in the womb, this is the one. <laughs> John is reflecting the image of an excited, joyful, hopeful God. The God that he's going to serve his life on. Forget that it's his younger cousin. Right? right? He's reflecting the image of an excited, joyful, hopeful God while he was still in the womb. Right from the beginning, and, and I do mean the beginning of our lives, we are reflections of the one true and the most high God. Isn't that cool? And then let's get, go on the other side of the spectrum here. Take a look at what it says in Psalms 92, verses 12 through 15. All right, again, earning your keep here. So Psalms is right in the middle of our Bible. The Old Testament is a little trick. You go like this, put your little thumbs right in the middle of the Bible, and you open up, not to Psalms, you open up to Job. <laughs> yeah, close, close enough, right? Close enough. <laughs> Psalms 92. Verses 12 through 15, right in the middle of our Bibles, a book of poetry. It says this. 12 and 15. The righteousness flourish like the palm tree. And they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in their old age. They are ever full, they are ever full of sap and green right, to declare that the Lord is upright, that he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Isn't that cool? Right? Isn't that cool, right? Even to the old age, it is the cry of God, the God, again, that we are forging our life on, even until we're six feet under, right, feet up, whatever, however the saying goes. It is the cry of our God that we would continue to bear fruit, that we continue to declare that the Lord is upright, it says, continue to grow in our image bearing of God, our creator. From the beginning of your life, Foundry Church, to its ultimate end, whatever that is, we are created to be image bearers of God. You're not a maker. You are made. And you are made in the image of God. God is not created in your image. You might think he should be, right? You're created in his. Foundry Church, right? He decided that he wanted you in this universe. Our God decided you by name that he wanted you in this universe. He imagined and he fashioned you. You are not accidental, you're nor, nor you're incidental. Right? You are divinely crafted. God looked down on this broken, messed up world and he decided at this time and place it needed you. Wow. Foundry Church, how amazing is that? Right? So, so what does this all mean for the question, how should we view life? How should we view human life? Well, it means this, right? The taking of any human life is the taking of a little bit of the reflection of the image of God. Right? The taking of human life in any way, from, from abortion to assisted suicide to euthanasia to murder and suicide, is all the taking away of God's image bearers from the world. Right? Okay. Now here's the sticky part. Right? The hard part. The, the complicated part. Because for some of us, this is not as black and white. 
I mean, we see it in black and white, but, it's, but when it gets over into us, there's a little bit of nuance. There's extenuating circumstances. There are questions about hurts and abuse and mental illness that make this a pretty gray area. Right? right? And listen, I hear you. The, the pain is real. The hurt is sometimes so alive, you, you can still feel it. And it feels like your body is, is waging war against itself. I understand. I understand you. Right? But as your Christian brother, as your pastor, I'm asked to speak the truth to you in love. And that brings me to this. I want to stop right here and I want to say something before we even go any further with this elephant in the room. And if you're falling asleep or if you've zoned out because you, you don't want to hear this, or if you're scrolling your phones because you think I'm taking too long, please lean in and hear this next part. Church. Listen, right? statistically speaking, there are people in this room who have either had an abortion, there are people in this room who have considered suicide or even attempted suicide, right? statistically speaking. I've had depression that has led me to those questions. Right? We've all been there. Right? Right? There are people in this room who, who know someone who is dying from a chronic illness, and that person just wants a way out. Right? They just want a way out, and, and they're, they're just crying for a way out because of the pain. Now, if you're one of those people, please hear me when I say this. This message is in, in absolutely no way meant to heap guilt or shame or cause you to go into hiding, because that's not the God we serve. Right, I know that the church as a whole can sort of have a reputation for beating people while they're down or heaping on guilt upon guilt. And for that, I'm sorry. Listen, right? that's not the goal of this message. Listen, this message is to remind us that we too are an image bearer of God. And he knows where we were when we made that choice. The God that we forge our life on, he knows when we had those thoughts, when we made that attempt. Whether if we don't believe in him yet or not. Right? He, he knows when your loved one is crying out to the doctor just to end it. Not to try anymore. He knows and his love is abundant. And his grace is sufficient. Lean into that. Listen, our God is not a God that ranks mess-ups from little to big or horrible to no big deal. God is perfection. And none of us, literally none of us, are reaching that standard. We've all fallen short. Me specifically, right? We We should be repentant and lean into the hope, joy, and the restoration that is the grace of God. This church, God's church, is a place for us to face the elephant in the room with the love of God in one hand and the forgiveness that he offers in the other for ourselves, for those that are all around us. Right? I'm reminded of what it says in Isaiah chapter 53. Right? This, one, this one's going to be a little bit harder to find, so use your table of contents if you need to. Isaiah 53 Verses 5 through 6, some of my favorite scripture. I say that about every scripture. But Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 6, this is a prophet talking. All right? He's saying this. He, he's saying this about before Jesus was years, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Right, But he, 
Jesus, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus the Son, God in the flesh, the iniquity of us all. Jesus is our sacrifice. Man, what a God we forge our life on. What a God we forge our life on, right? So if you have made those choices or you, you thought about making those choices, let me be clear that you are in the right place. You are at the foot of the cross, with fellow sinners, <laughs> praising the one who is pierced for our transgressions, the one who made us whole, uh, the bringer of the good news, the gospel. The gospel, the thing that we said from the very beginning of this, that we must view every elephant-sized topic through. <laughs> and we must use that lens to answer those two questions. And who remembers what those two questions were? Anyone? On the screen. How can I best love God in this situation? And how can I best love people in this situation? Well, let's answer those, right? In light of the, the answer to our question, how should we view human life? Right? Well, we're all image bearers. From the beginning of time until the end of time, even in all of eternity, right? We're all image bearers. Whether Jesus is our Lord or not. Right? So, your, so your neighbor... Who, who doesn't believe in Jesus, he's still an image bearer of God that you're called to love, right? So I'll just answer those, right? You see, when we know that human life was created to reflect the image of God, and then we respond by doing our very best to reflect his image in all that we do. It means that faced with a decision, right, we should always try to choose life, right? It also means that when those we love are faced with that decision, we should have compassion, we would, um, that we would have empathy, we would not condemn, uh, we would not make it political. Please don't make it political. Rather, we should share with them the love of Christ, right? And listen, because we're, we're citizens of a greater kingdom, and we lead with the love of Christ. We give them grace. We give them hope. We, we show them another way. We are there for them. We walk alongside them, right? In whatever stage of life they're in, the depression that's, uh, that's attempting suicide, it's um, contemplating uh, the birth of a baby, it's uh, the end of life care, it's the prisoners that are in jail, it's the, the poor that are among us that, that don't have the basics of needs, right? And listen, a lot of us Christians, we punk out there, right? Right? Life, the sanctity of life, we just talk about that. And then we don't care about the rest of the person or the people around them who need some help. We share the love of Christ. Listen, we share the love of Christ from the womb to the tomb. Right? Because everyone on the spectrum is an image bearer of God, including ourselves. Share that love and grace with others and with yourself. It means we would offer our home to the teen mother in our neighborhood who's being kicked out of her house. It means we would buy diapers for the single mom who's struggling to make ends meet. It means that we would offer free tutoring to the parents who are working three jobs, uh, but they don't have time to, to help their child with their homework. It means that when our neighbor is showing signs of depression, we ask them how they're doing, right? and we genuinely care, and we try to get them some help, 
or seeing our, our widowed, elderly neighbor who's all by themselves, no one around, we give them some love, all right? Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it, if it takes some of our time, it means we do that, right? We can remove the, the bad stigma around counseling, it's just caring for the person, right? It means that when our, our parents are struggling to remember things, we have some grace and help them remember where they put their stupid glasses, it, it means we you know, care about the prisoners and, and their care just like God asks us to. Right? It, includes, it includes their families. It, it means that we care about the whole life of a person, not just their birth or, or their death, because their whole life is a reflection of God. They're an image bearer. It means that when a person comes to us with shame or regret or questions, we do not condemn them to hell. We do not try to win just a political argument and send them on their way. We show them the love of God. Listen, if you are forging your life on God, you are not a citizen of this realm or earth. I guess I just went Lord of the Rings there. The realm. You're a citizen of heaven. It means that we step up to the table. We have this messy and awkward conversation. We don't hide behind, I'm this, I'm that. We stand up to them and say, I'm an image bearer of Christ too. We're all sinners. We're all messed up. Let's figure this out. We, we stand arm in arm with our brother and our sisters and we make the hard choice and we do not leave their side if they make the wrong choice. Listen, look. As image bearers of God, right, we have the, the immense responsibility and incredible honor of being the only Jesus some people see. Right? Wow, right? Scares me. <laughs> but luckily, God said he's given us a helper. To go with us, to go before us, to go after us. Right? As image bearers of God, we have the immense responsibility and the incredible honor of being the only Jesus some people see. And it is my hope, my prayer, that we would reflect the image of a grace-filled, forgiving father just waiting for his children to come home. <laughs> As the, the band comes back up here, I, I, look at this question. Right? Let's, let's just look at it like this. This is for us and this is for uh, those that are around us. Do you know what separates you from the love of God? Go to the, go to the next slide, because this is what separates us from the love of God right here. No, the next slide, I'm sorry. The next one. Yeah, no, the next one. Nothing! Nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing. It's our hope, it's our prayer that we would reflect the image of a grace-filled, forgiving father just waiting for his children to come home because everybody, before they're even born, until they're dead in the grave, are an image-bearer of our God. The God that we forge our life on. And what a God we serve. Let's worship him continually this morning. Sing him all honor and all praises.